Hello and welcome to Brave Hearts Rising, a podcast dedicated to the empaths, deep feelers and dreamers of the world. I'm your host Lisa Pascoe and in these episodes we explore what it takes to create a wholehearted life, one where you thrive from the inside out. Here we value diversity, compassion, creativity and kindness because we know that the world is a brighter, more fun place to be when you are free to show up as who you truly are, not just who the world wants you to be. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get on to today's episode. Hello and welcome to season three, episode six of the Brave Hearts Rising podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Pascoe, and today I'm talking to the lovely Ellie Tria. She is a community builder for Quiet Revolutionaries and helps introverts with big dreams to get connected and build thriving, engaged communities around their businesses so that they can make a massive impact, find their dream clients and make their corner of the world a better place. She lives in the wonderful city of Copenhagen, And when she's not working, you can find her curled up with a book, painting, or hanging out with her husband, Lars. I am so excited to share with you our conversation today. We talk about identity, growing up feeling like an outsider, and Ellie shares with us her experience of being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder in her late 30s and how this felt like such a weight being lifted for her. And then finally, we talk about her choice to live separately from her husband and she gives us some practical tools for how you can start your own community project. As always, this was a really nourishing conversation and I hope you enjoy. So today I am talking to the wonderful Ellie Trier. I'm really excited to have her on the show today and to share her with all of you because she, yeah, she's a wonderful human and for the audience, I've kind of... Ellie's been on my radar for absolutely years. Marianne from Free Range Humans wrote about her on a blog once. So I was signed up to the newsletter when she was doing creativity projects and art projects and coaching. And now she is working in the area of community projects, which is really exciting. But I shall let Ellie talk more about that. So hello, Ellie, and welcome. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on. It's such a treat. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I love that you say that you help glorious, brave, big-hearted business owners to rally the troops and start quiet revolutions and make a massive impact. And of course, the show is called Brave Hearts Rising, so that really speaks to me. So as an outsider, if you looked at that, you might think that, oh, that you've been doing this forever and that's really amazing and it is amazing what you're doing, but I know that this is like your fourth business I'm quite interested in the evolution of Ellie because I think for listeners out there who maybe aren't at the stage where you're at or they haven't got this fully flourishing thing but they're starting to have ideas about that doing their own thing it's really refreshing to hear about how it's it is like a journey and an evolution and lots of different Mm. phases to it so in a nutshell how would you (laughs) I'll try and like squeeze it down a little bit for you. Intuitively, like what what would you speak to that in terms of like the getting started and just how you came to be where you are? Maybe some of the breadcrumbs. Yeah, I think everything I've done has led to the next thing. It's been a real, like you say, an evolution. So what I'm doing now couldn't have existed without the things that I've done before. Um, I mean, I started my career in hospitality. So my very first business was actually running a guest house, which on the on the surface doesn't look like it would have much to do with what I with what I do now. 
But actually doing that taught me about how to provide a really stellar customer experience, like all about service and what that actually means, all about how to create experiences for people and that whole kind of surprise and delight piece. Um, from there, I, I, I moved into kind of hospitality marketing, which led to me setting up my first kind of online business, which was um, a marketing consultancy, which was, which was great, but it was kind of my first foray into doing anything completely by myself, the, the guest house I ran with my then husband. So it was really a kind of a, a baptism of fire, just figuring everything out. And what I ended up doing, which I think a lot of new business owners do, is I had tried to get out of that job box and I just recreated it, but with lots of bosses instead of one. <laughs> so um, that culminated in, in me having this, this period of depression at the end of 2012, which led to me writing, writing my book, The Gratitude Project, which is where Marianne found me and you found me and a whole load of other people. That led to people asking me for, for illustration work because I illustrated the book myself as well, um, which led to doing, you know, coaching around creativity. Uh, and my very first community projects happened during that period as well, which I completely fell in love with and would say to anyone who would listen, like, all I want to do is community projects. They're the best thing ever. And it wasn't until several years later that I realized that, oh, actually, I could help other people create these, these projects and these tiny revolutions, as I like to call them. So everything has been like just a gentle stepping stone from one thing to the next. Thank you. And I think why I really wanted to kind of illuminate that is because I do think that people, when they're thinking about starting something new, and I think with the empaths and the HSPs, I think we can naturally be multi-passionate and have lots of different interests and different things and it can feel overwhelming. And I think it's easy to look at someone at a particular point in their career or their business and think, well, it's okay for them or I can never get to there or never achieve there. And it's remembering that this is kind of being human is messy and you don't just wake up and have the perfect solution. Like you try things out, things have a time. Sometimes things are the perfect solution for right now for you and it works well. And then you change and your business changes or you do something different. Um, mm. And so I think it's really important to, yeah, to highlight that yeah. basically. And that's, that's part of the fun. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's a pleasure. That's a joy to be able to, you know, intelligent, creative people are naturally curious. They want to kind of follow the breadcrumbs and, and, and go where their enthusiasm takes them. And that really is when you allow yourself to do that, it leads you places that you never would ordinarily have gone, you know? So I'm still evolving that. I mean, I'm two and a two years. Yeah. Coming up to two years into this business. And it's still evolving now, you know, I'm still, you know, I'm getting new ideas, I'm trying different things, I'm, I'm doing things in a different way. And I love that part of the journey, like that's the bit that I really get excited about. It is about giving yourself permission, isn't it? Permission to play, permission to get curious, and also to find people that will support you and that want to share ideas with, with you and yeah, just bounce off of each other. So Oh, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. <laughs> it really is like where to start with all of this. That's the benefit of being a weirdo. There are lots of conversation points. 
Ex yes, exactly. And I think when you grow up a weirdo, that you just don't know enough other different people to talk to, so you feel you can feel quite lonely, can't you? And okay. I think yeah. you know that's why I really love the online space as well, because you have got more ability to connect with people across the world. Mm. Um, and what you thought was weird actually isn't. Exactly. You know what I mean? It, it's it's actually you can find people where you feel at home talking to them, and that's really powerful. What is your driver behind community projects? I know you're really passionate about them. I know you're passionate about the quiet revolutions. What kind of revolutions do you want to see in the world? Does it does that matter to you? I think that the kind of the fundamental thing that it all comes down to is um, trying to build a better world for all of us. I mean, I don't think any of us are in, in any doubt that the world is, is a complete shit show, you know, and more and more, you know, certainly over the last five or six years where we've had, you know, Trump coming into power, we've had Brexit, we've now got the, the pandemic thing, which is throwing everything, like everything is amplified at the moment. And it's really bringing up all these different perspectives that maybe we had just kind of swept under the rug before. And I wholeheartedly believe that the way we change the world is through talking to each other. It's through having conversations with people, sharing different points of view, becoming okay with people being different from us. Um, and a community project is such a glorious way to do that because they are these big, long, meaty chunks of time with lots and lots of different voices all given their own spotlight. It means that you get to hear like shades of gray. You get to hear that, that diversity and that difference. And it opens up your mind. And the more people going around with kind of open minds and, you know, willingness to accept people who disagree with them or to have a completely different worldview from them, the better the world is going to be, you know? Yeah, I 100% agree. That's why I have the podcast. It's all about bringing people together with different experiences as well because I think so often we can just assume things that we don't even know we're assuming about the world because it's all we know and you don't know what you don't know so it's by listening to people that it just it opens up doors and it opens up new avenues for thinking and questioning and looking at how am I contributing to the current situation how could I contribute differently what kind of impact would exactly. I like to have in the world and those of us with, with businesses or with, you know, some kind of platform where people are looking to us as, as leaders or, or influencers or whatever term you want to use, you know, we have such an opportunity to create a, a microcosm, if that's all it is, of the world that we want to see. You know, we have the opportunity to, to create our own little environment. And business is such a wonderful tool for doing that. You know, I work with a lot of people who's, Businesses are driven by their values, you know, they're woven into the fabric of how they operate. And projects like these are just such a brilliant way for them to get out there and stand up and say, look, this is what I believe in. Are you with me, you know, to the barricades? And what that does is not only does it, does it give you the opportunity to, to have this vehicle for, for, for change, um, but it also gives you these incredible business benefits sort of as a byproduct of that, because you've gathered together all of these people who are 100% bought into those values. 
I really love the image of vehicle for change. Like I've not stopped and thought about it before, but as you're speaking, I'm kind of seeing a vehicle, but then thinking about like, how do you want to color it? Like, who do you want to invite along the ride? You yeah, know, exactly. that kind of thing. So that's quite an interesting one to think about. And I invite listeners to think about that too, because I think whether you have a business or you're working, whatever you're doing in this world, whatever your role, you can still have an impact. I think so often we just we're so busy um, just going about the day to day and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's about taking that step back and asking yourself, like, what ripple effect do I want to have? And, you know, it might just be smiling at people more, it, you know, it's just spreading some kind of something. But you have mm-hmm. to decide that rather than kind of just walking through and not really seeing that you have power. I think a lot of us, especially women can, but many of us can doubt ourselves and you know, a big part of my why is just growing up seeing so many highly sensitives and empaths really using their energy to beat themselves up, be self-critical. Um, and I just think, imagine if we freed up all that energy, redirected it into having the impact that we want to see in the world, like that would be magical. That's the world I want to live in, where women are empowered and emboldened to stand up and say, no, we're not happy with this, actually, and we're going to change it. Exactly. Um, Okay, so you spoke about leadership, and I'm glad you did, because I know that the way that you look at the world is different in terms of because you do the community projects and the free ranging. Like when you think about leadership, what does that mean to you? What does it look like? I think there's this very kind of rigid idea Um, of what a leader actually is and it almost always has one person the leader out in front and going follow me follow me I know all the answers I've got all the you know I know everything Um, you can trust me you know all of this stuff and I think the leaders that I most respect and the leaders that I most trust are always the ones who are standing shoulder to shoulder with their people like they're deep in conversation and community with their people and they're leading from within, you know, they're facilitating the change that, that should be had. They're encouraging people to come up with their own ideas. You know, they're pointing people in the right direction, um, but have the humility to say, like, I don't have all the answers because none of us have all the answers, you know. No matter what level of expertise we have, there's always an opportunity to learn something different. There's always an opportunity for growth. And I think true leadership comes from the ability to stand in the middle of all of that and to say, yeah, I've got some good ideas. I'm not afraid to share them. But, you know, what are your ideas as well? Like, let's do this together. Let's let's come together in community and and kick this about a bit, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the things that can stop people sometimes from stepping into their expertise, stepping into who they really are, is that that fear of rejection. Has that been something that's come up for you over the years? Like, is it something that you see? What, what do you say to that? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely something that, that I've had to kind of confront. Um, it doesn't affect me so much now because I've kind of, I, I've put myself forward in spite of rejection so many times that I understand that being rejected is just part of the thing. It's not a personal reflection on me. It just means I'm not right for that particular thing. And also I have rejected people as well. 
And it's never personal. It's never because who they are of who they are as a human being. It's always because like, yeah, you're awesome, but you're not quite right for this particular thing. Like I've got a really set vision of what I want this to be and who I want to be a part of it. And it's, it's not you, but you know, for something else, you'd be perfect. And I think understanding that like rejection isn't a personal thing. It just, it's more a reflection on the person doing the rejecting than it is the person being rejected. And it's all just part of the process, you know? The more rejections you collect, the closer you get to a yes, you know, and more yeses. But if you're, if you're too frightened to not do anything, then you'll never get rejected, but you'll also never get anywhere that you want to go either. <laughs> yeah. I always remember Marianne sending a postcard to Ideas Adventure People, and it was a Seth Godin quote that said, safe is risky. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, yeah. Is that that wonderful thing about, you know, a ship is always safe in harbour, but ships weren't built for that. And it's yeah. so true, you know. Everything is a risk. And uh, if, you know, you walk out your front door, you get hit by a bus, you know. We do that every day without even thinking about it. So it's, it's, it's the same thing. You just have to kind of practice. Just keep doing it, even though it's terrifying and you might need to go and lie down in a dark room for half an hour afterwards. <laughs> yeah and I think that is the key as well isn't it is thinking about your own well-being both mental health and physical health and just knowing your boundaries and knowing how much you can take at a given time and that's why I like when you talk about like quiet revolutions tiny revolutions because it's it's not this notion that you have to just go out there and make this massive impact right away it's just saying that you know you take the small gentle steps for you but like stood within your values, in your power, and you're coming from this. Yeah, just, I talk about being the oak tree. It is that oak tree position. Absolutely. And this is a thing that, that I think a lot of, particularly women, but I'm sure it extends to everybody as well, that there's this idea of, of power being something that you take away from other people. Like in order to be powerful, you have to have power over others. Whereas in fact, it's more about, betting on yourself it's more about knowing you know where your edges are what you're comfortable with knowing how far you can stretch your comfort zone knowing that you will come through for yourself you keep your promises to yourself um trusting in your own opinions like all of that that's a powerful person if they can nail all of those things but it doesn't mean that they're taking anything away from anybody else no in fact quite the opposite if if somebody is is that able to self-actualize they're going to empower more people just by showing up in that way it is really powerful and i think it's just about getting out of our own way really and it's like not making it about you it's like rather than thinking about it all it's just becoming and being and embodying those things and remembering that we're always having an impact like we we always have an impact just stepping out of our door people see you people are going to put you in a box Mm-hmm. no matter what people are going to put you in a box but you get to decide which boxes they put you in like you have control over how people perceive you or how you know you want to show up you have complete control over that um but if you don't do that if you relinquish that control people are still going to put you in the boxes they just might not be the boxes that you want to be in exactly 
Exactly. So one of the things I'd love to talk to you about is the fact that you have spoken openly about being diagnosed with autism in your late 30s and how this really was the best thing to ever happen to you. Oh God, yeah. (laughs) And I know several women who have also been diagnosed in their late 30s and it it has been a real game changer but I don't think everyone has awareness around this and of course traditionally it's always been society has diagnosed boys and not girls so much and I do think there have been strong I don't impact of that for for girls who haven't been diagnosed and have ended up having to kind of fit in somehow I would love to hear about your experience growing up and then having the diagnosis and how that has changed your world now like what have been the changes you've made or what has changed in your own narrative yeah wow that's a big question (laughs) yes (laughs) feel free to just answer as comes out this is (laughs) the biggest thing was for me was I always felt wrong no matter how much I tried to do the right thing or follow the rules or I always felt like everybody else had the handbook to being a person and I kind of missed that day in class or something Mm -hmm. um and I had many many instances where I, I basically just didn't understand what the fuck was going on like I'd have people respond to me in really odd ways or or um just things that happened that I, I just couldn't make head nor sense of um and I, I figured you know well, I'm just a bit of a weirdo that's just that's just what it is but you know it'd be nice to kind of figure this out and to a certain extent you know one thing that the the autistic women and girls are very good at is the masking and the mimicry so they which is one of the reasons why they tend to not get diagnosed so much as boys because they're better at hiding what they're what they're going through or how they're feeling and mimicking how other people behave but it's always a bit like it's never your native language you know it's always you're speaking in somebody else's language and you have to kind of think about it which is why it's so exhausting so getting the diagnosis oh gosh I was what 36 I think it was just for my 37th birthday it was an absolute revelation I felt like all of this weight I had been carrying around with me for 36 years had just left, you know? And I stopped giving a fuck about what other people thought of me. It just gave me permission to stand fully in who I was and be like, yeah, I'm a fucking weirdo. Deal with it. <laughs> and that's the most liberating thing that has ever happened to me, you know, just being able to go, I have a reason now that I can pull out of my back pocket and say, yeah, okay, I didn't understand that. This is why it's not because I'm a broken person. You know, it's not because I'm defective in some way. It's just my brain works differently. (laughs) And actually, that's a gift because I see things in a completely different way to normal people, neurotypical people, Mm -hmm. Um, normal being relative. (laughs) And that means I can I connect the dots in a completely different way, which means I'm an innovator. It means I'm creative. It means I come up with ideas that that aren't readily available to people. And you know things like community projects, um, my love is greater than numbers methodology, like all of that stuff has come from me connecting the dots in a slightly different way. 
and coming up with really unique things that work for people who are gentle and sensitive and neurodiverse and introverted and people who don't quite function in the real world as well as they would like to. And I love that part about giving yourself permission to just be you and just letting go of all the rules all the rules that kind of were imposed upon you that just were kind of created for like a world or for a way of thinking that wasn't yours um but what I would love to know is what led to you getting the test in the first place what led to getting a diagnosis ah that's a good question um I had had uh, a really really stressful few months and I have a lot of sensory issues and they had all kind of been turned up to 11 because I was really really stressed out um and I'd been for a lovely summer walk with my husband or my boyfriend at the time and we'd gone for a lovely walk in the sunshine it was a it was a windy day and it should have been perfect but I was just I couldn't handle it the sun was too bright the wind was too blowy like everything was annoying me like my, I couldn't bear the feeling of my clothes on my skin. and I was just freaking out. And Lars, my husband, sat me down on a bench and gave me his hoodie and pulled the hood up and kind of faced me like with my back to the sun. And the relief was just extreme, like just. And we sat there for about an hour and a half or something before I was ready to kind of do the short walk back to where we'd came from. And I was telling a friend of mine about it later on. And I said, oh, my God, it's like I'm autistic or something just as a kind of throwaway thing. And she said, you do realise that you could be, don't you? And it had never occurred to me. Like, I wasn't even really aware that women could be autistic. Like, it wasn't in my, in my circle at all. So I went to, to speak to my stepmother, who is a retired social worker, who's done a lot of work with people with um, mental health issues. And she said, I'm so glad you said something because I had been suspicious for about 20 years since I first met you um, that you might have something wrong with you. But I didn't want to like pry, didn't want to be the like the overbearing stepmother. Um, and she said, now you've come to it on your own. I can help you. So she took me through because, of course, I was doing the whole diagnostic process in a foreign country, in a foreign language. Mm -hmm. So she helped me go through the whole diagnostic process and she really fought for me to get the kind of the, the diagnosis and then get the support that I needed afterwards as well. But it was a long, long process. I think the whole thing took almost a year to actually get, the, mm -hmm. get to the point. And then there was the dealing with it afterwards, which also wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a switch flipped and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm autistic. There was a lot of kind of processing of... of you know, who actually am I now and, and being angry at nobody picking it up sooner and, and all of this emotional stuff, which went on for a few months afterwards. And then eventually once that had all settled down, I was just like, oh, great. Now I can just get on with being a weirdo and enjoying myself. And, you know, I don't have to worry about fitting into a broken system anymore. I can, I can just carve my own path. And that's when everything, everything in my life changed for the better. Wow, thank you for sharing because I just know there will be people listening that might resonate with that. And I think, yeah, there is that kind of myth that people with autism are boys who barely speak and can't look you in the eye. And that's what that looks like. There is just not much information out there about how it might affect women and girls and how you might not find out until later in life. And 
And I think sometimes as well, being like highly sensitive, being a deep feeler, like the lines might blur, like what is just you having a bit of a meltdown because you're, you're getting overwhelmed and what is it, or, or is it because it's something else is going on and, you know, because words are bandied about so much, you don't necessarily want to be like, oh, I'm a bit on the spectrum in a disrespectful yeah. way, but also <laughs> you might be saying it because you have a hunch about yourself. Um, and I think, you know, the diagnostic process is a little bit off-putting for some because it, it is so long and you have to engage with the medical community, which you might not like. <laughs> yeah, I, if I hadn't have had my, my stepmother to help me kind of go through it, I don't think I would have bothered. I think I'd yeah it was it was pretty horrific but yeah i'm so glad i'm so glad that i did it and i suggest that anyone who's listening who's suspicious like do some reading about it look up read some books look up on the internet like i, I found some uh you know diagnostic symptoms list or something and i went through and i was just like yep 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 twice on sundays like <laughs> <laughs> it was just everything and that really kind of gave me the kind of the confidence to go in armed with my own knowledge and say, like, look, this is what I'm experiencing. This is how my life has been. I think it's because of this. Like, And is there any particular book that stands out that helped you that you think would be really useful? Don't worry if you can't remember. Oh, gosh, there was one that I loved, which was a story of a woman who was she was a, uh, an editor, a journalist. And she just basically told the story of what her life was like living with this thing. And, and um, yeah, that was really, really powerful because I could totally relate to her being someone who works from home, someone who works a lot with words and, and things like that. I can't remember the name of it, but I'll look it up when we finished here and you can, I'll give you a link to it so you can share it. There's so much stuff out there and more and more in the last decade or so understanding how autism presents in women and girls has come on in leaps and bounds so there is a whole wealth of information out there that just didn't exist before thank you huh and the other thing i'd love to speak about is the fact that you got married last year and now live separately from your <laughs> husband i think this is such a great topic to talk about because i know there are people out there who probably aren't giving themselves permission to be honest with themselves about what might work best for them. There are so many rules about how a romantic relationship has to be and what it has to do to be like, if you love, if we love each other, then we need to share the same bed or mm -hmm. all these rules. So how did you come to the decision? Was it always just assumed that you would live separately? Did conversations have to happen? tell me <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny every time I tell people about this I, I nine times out of ten they'll say to me like oh wow like I wish I wish I'd thought of that like I wonder if I get my husband to move out <laughs> it's something that really appeals to people but but like you say there are these societal kind of constructs again it doesn't even occur to us that we're allowed to do things like that and I think with with Lars and I this is uh, our second marriage for both of us. We've both been married before. And we're both very similar in that we are very, very introverted, very solitary, very sensitive, empathic. Like we just soak up each other's moods like a sponge, you know? 
And I was very, very adamant when we first got together, I didn't even want to be in a relationship. I was just like, no, I am best when I'm by myself and I have complete control of my environment and complete control of my emotional register and all of that. That's what works. And he was like, yeah, me too, but I love you. <laughs> so we, we said very, very early on in the relationship, like, yeah, you're the one, love you to bits. Let's not live together. And luckily, we both agreed with that, like neither one of us wants children or has children. So there, there aren't those kind of practical logistics to take into consideration. We're each only responsible for ourselves. So it was, it was fairly easy to, to, to do and, and born of self-understanding, like having lived with people in the past and realizing just how draining and difficult it can be, even if it's a fabulous relationship, you know. So now I have, you know, financially, it's a shit show. <laughs> We'd save so much more money, especially living in Copenhagen, if we both had the same place. <laughs> but it's worth it. You know, I have my little place. I've got my art stuff, and my books, and um, I go and spend weekends at his place. And it's lovely. And when I come home on a Sunday night, it's just like, ah, I can decompress. I had a lovely time. We make an effort when we see each other. So we make an effort to have real conversations with each other, you know, dress up for each other and, and we go out on dates. And our relationship feels as fresh now as it did when we first got together five years ago, which is practically unheard of. Um, and I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that, you know, I don't have to deal with, I don't know, picking up after him. We don't have arguments about whose turn it is to take the bins out. A lot of that kind of, mundanity of life is just gone so we get to enjoy the real the proper stuff you know and we live five minutes apart so if there's if there's ever a problem or an emergency or one of us needs the other we can be there in a heartbeat so that helps it's really lovely i love it i don't think i could ever live with anybody ever again <laughs> i just think it's refreshing for people to give themselves permission that you give yourself permission to do what works for you and I know it's not always possible to have two places, but I think it it is just about questioning what rules, what invisible rules are governing my life. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, and you'll know that as a coach, having worked with people, that so often they're just waiting for someone to give themselves permission yeah. to eat cake in bed or <laughs> take themselves on a date somewhere exciting and, I don't know, spend 50 quid on something that just feels very frivolous that they would never let themselves do. But if someone else lets them, then that's okay. And Yeah. Yeah, so much of the work is around just giving people the tools to kind of empower themselves to just do the things that light them up yeah absolutely absolutely I don't know why we give ourselves such a hard time about being happy like we put so many completely imaginary roadblocks in place yeah I think it's a fascinating topic that like why I think there is some guilt around being happy oh totally totally and then we beat ourselves up about these ridiculous things like we set impossible standards for ourselves and we we cut, we cut ourselves down and we talk badly to ourselves and all of this stuff and it's just madness and I love that we're on the topic of happiness because of course you're speaking to me from Copenhagen <laughs> <laughs> and I know people have been a little bit obsessed with Denmark over the last few years because of the is it Kuga? I can never say it right Kuga. Kuga. yeah because it was I don't know, is it still the happiest place in Europe? 
I'm not sure. <laughs> but it was always know. billed as the happiest place in Europe. So there's this very romantic notion in people's heads of Copenhagen and Denmark. Um, how long have you been there? And what is it? What is your favourite thing about being in Denmark? Oh, good question. Uh, moved in June 2015, so I'm coming up for my fifth anniversary. Mm. My family is Danish. My dad is Danish. He moved back here after my parents split when I was a kid. And uh, I was actually intending to go on a big kind of eat, pray, love style tour of Europe. I just split up with my boyfriend at the time. And I was like, oh, what should I do? I can do anything. And I thought I'd start with Denmark because my dad was there, spend a couple of months here and then kind of move on. And after two weeks here, I was just like, oh, no, this is it. This is home. I don't want to be anywhere else. And I cancelled the rest of the trip. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it and I think one of one of the reasons it's billed as the happiest place in Europe is that as a society they value quality of life like we don't have the same kind of presenteeism that that you have in the UK and the US it's very much about you work to live rather than live to work and you're 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 not expected to kind of stay in the office to all hours most places kind of shut up at four so people can go and pick their kids up. It's very outdoorsy and very healthy. So people are, uh, you know, taking care of themselves in that way as well. And it's just everything is geared to having a nice time. And of course, the, the, the government is kind of very socialist leaning. Um, there are proper infrastructures in place, like the welfare system is really great. So everybody is taken care of by the state as well. And it's just kind of woven into the very fabric of the culture here that you should have a nice time. <laughs> My favourite thing about living in Denmark, I think just being in Copenhagen, like Copenhagen is such a beautiful city. It's kind of a hidden gem, like until the whole Hugo craze happened a few years ago, like a lot of people didn't really know where Denmark was or where Copenhagen was. So it felt like this kind of special secret thing. And I love that I have history here in a way that I don't in England. A lot of my Danish ancestors were fairly um, prominent. So there's a, a family portrait of my great, 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 great grandfather in the National Gallery, for example. I can go and visit the graves of my ancestors. They're actually all in the city. So I feel a really strong connection to um, my history and my, you know, where I, where I came from. Um, and that really, really excites me. My family history is full on the Danish side of uh, people in media and artists. <laughs> so I love that I've kind of ended up there and I'm kind of continuing that on in, in one way or another. How does that feed into your identity? Oh, there's something lovely about feeling like I'm part of something. And that's something that, that has only happened to me later in life. Um, like I said, growing up with, with undiagnosed autism made me feel very other. My English family my mum was estranged from them for many, many years. Um, and we lived, we didn't live in a, like, a, like a family area or anything, we lived very far away from them. So there was, there was none of that kind of, um, I never knew my, my grandparents or anything like that. So again, it was very other. And then coming here and leaning into that kind of family history and leaning into the work I do now, which again is all about community, all about being part of something, Coming to Denmark really kind of shifted everything for me. It made me really value that, that feeling of belonging. Mm. Yeah, I asked because my, 
my dad was adopted and so I've always had this side of of me that's just never quite I don't know knowing what to do with itself that sense of like is there a missing piece of the puzzle somewhere so I just think it's always interesting identity as a topic because there's so much that feeds into it so many different parts of ourselves different hats labels all the things so thank you for sharing that and I think to circle back to the community projects you know you've spoken about being an empath highly sensitive about the fact that you are kind of like a hermit you need a lot of your own downtime i imagine there'll be listeners out there that a resonate with that but b are then wondering how the hell do you do all this kind of chatting and people facing work albeit from behind a screen how do you manage that like how does that fit in it's tricky It is tricky, but a lot of it just comes down to practice and knowing, knowing where your limits are by breaking them occasionally until you learn. (laughs) So for me, I have um, non-negotiable, untouchable periods. So again, I spend most of my week by myself. I have Mondays, which are my introvert days. That happens every single week without fail. I am completely unavailable. Um, And I'm about to try and squeeze in another one on Thursdays as well. I am very, very careful about the number of calls I book in in a particular week. I have, I know how many calls I can take before it's just enough. And I make sure, and this is one of the things I teach in Love is Greater Than Numbers, I make sure that I'm only speaking to people who are my kindred spirits, are the people Mm. that really, really light me up and get me excited to talk to. So even if I'm tired afterwards, it's more of a kind of a gentle weariness rather than a kill me now sort of tired, you know? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that comes down to being able to really get in deep with somebody. And you can do that like just the first time you speak to somebody if you're aware of kind of the sort of person that your kindred spirits generally are. And that saves a lot of energy because you don't have to go through that awkward kind of small talk situation and so that making sure you're speaking to the right people giving yourself lots and lots of white space being a very aware of kind of your energy management so i never ever ever book calls in the mornings because that's my special time so i'll only do stuff in the afternoons only take calls two days a week and occasionally on fridays if things spill over Um, So I have all these kind of rules and boundaries which protect me um, and my energy from other people's stuff and just that kind of social burnout thing. So weekly I get a break from everybody and then every few weeks I'll have a week off where I just don't talk to anybody and I can go straight into the the cave. And I'm currently in the process of of readjusting things and rejigging things. I'm always trying to find better, more efficient ways to be, show up and be a person. Um, but get enough rest as well. So there is a lot of stuff that I do, which is completely automated, which captures me at my best and then gives it to people even when I'm behind the scenes at my worst. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I play around with it a lot. Thank you. There's some really good and useful advice in there and some good tips. I think listening to you, it's what came up was that not all communication is made equal is like is is equal in the sense i think you can think like when you're an introvert you recharge by having alone time and talking to people tires you out 
which is surface level true but i think like you say there there are different conversations can actually sometimes be energizing like if if it's like-minded people if you're sharing ideas then you might be able to have an hour conversation come away feeling quite excited later Mm. you might then feel tired but if you had to have an hour conversation about really small talk things or and that will exhaust you much more quickly so it's a bit like apps on your phone some apps take up masses amount of energy and data and others are just like the light ones um and it's just being aware isn't it about what what are your big energy drains and what might give you a little boost and the best thing about about having the internet and being an introvert is that you can connect as much as you want to and then you can just shut everything down and go and do something else which is great. You can spend 10 minutes in the morning, like sending out messages on Instagram and that's it. You're done for the day, but you're still plugged in and connected to your community. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's such a gift. I think mm-hmm. that you don't have to go out there now and go to in-person networking events. If you don't want to, there are so many fresh ways of meeting people. And I think that's something you speak to a lot. Um, it is taking that fresh approach to creating connections and meaningful connections, not surface level connections. So I guess before I ask you the questions that I ask everyone, okay, what three things would you say to someone who was interested in starting some kind of community project, but it felt quite big. What would you say to that? Uh, first of all, come talk to me. Because <laughs> I will help you break it all down and make it nice and manageable. And, and, and you can go through my system, which means that it's much, much, much less overwhelming. Other than that, know what it is that you're actually trying to achieve. So have an intention for what you're doing, why you're gathering these people. I see so many community projects, which are just a nice thing to have, but they don't actually move the needle on the person's business who's hosting it. They don't actually do anything for them. And that, to me, I don't have the time or the energy to waste on stuff like that. You know, if I'm going to spend that much time and effort on something, then for my business, it needs to do something for my business. So yeah, make sure your strategy is on point from the beginning. And the third thing would be really, really concentrate on making your people feel like they are part of something rather than contributing to your thing. So one of the things that I help people do is to really generate a sense of ownership among the people they invite to contribute and also the attendees as well. So it becomes one big melting pot of conversation rather than this very strict kind of tiered hierarchy Mm -hmm. that the telesummits or you know expert-based things tend to have yeah oh thank you so these are the questions I ask everyone what are you most grateful for right now (gasps) oh gosh that's a good one uh week off (laughs) (laughs) I go on holiday for well stay on holiday for a week um after today and I'm really really looking forward to diving into my paint box and just rolling around and canvas and paint and art materials for a week amazing and what is one of your favorite ways to practice self-care painting painting and skincare (laughs) cool what is your skincare regime really really gorgeous sexy products morning and evening cleanse tone moisturize oils masks scrubs (laughs) basically the more the better i love it Remind me of one of my best friends. And who, who or what is inspiring you right now? 
I am really, really loving the Love and bad Badassery project from one of my clients, Helen Tremezic. It's been running throughout May and it's about bringing your whole self to your business without losing that important clarity. Um, and it has just been an absolute blinder. Like every single person she's had on the lineup has just been incredible and it has just been giving me so much joy. Thank you. And tell us about a book that's transformed your life or had an impact. Oh, it has to be Making a Living Without a Job by Barbara Winter, <laughs> which I read all the way back in 2007, 2008, when I first decided to strike out on my own. It was the book that gave me the courage to leave my day job and, and go out and start my own business by myself. And she ended up writing the foreword for my book several years later, which is a lovely kind of tie back loop. Mm-hmm. And what was it? Is it? Was it the gratitude project that's your book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, if you could tell the listeners one thing, what would it be? Oh, stop taking everything so seriously and just do what you're drawn to do. Doesn't matter. No one's looking. Just go for it. It's great. Yes. Do it. <laughs> Listen to the heart whispers. <laughs> and before you go, what are you currently working on and how can listeners find out more about you and your project? Best thing to do is to come over to my website, which is elitradecommunities.com and get yourself on my Sunday letter list. They go out every Sunday and they're full of everything, community, connection, general business stuff. They're brilliant. People love them. And you can also come and find me on Instagram at elitradecommunities. I try and show up there as much as humanly possible. And what am I working on at the moment? When I come back from my holiday, I am putting together a, a workshop on email marketing that connects and converts. Um, I have a bit of a reputation for writing amazing email newsletters and I want to share all my secrets with people. So that is coming up in June. Well, exciting. I shall look out for that. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Brave Hearts Rising podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a rating. And if you would like to receive my nourishing notes and reminders to be kind to yourself, as well as keep up to date with any future events and offerings, you can head over and sign up at www.lisapasco.com forward slash say hello. As always, remember to be kind to yourself and have a wonderful week. Bye.